Rooted Prayer podcast, where we explore the new prayer movement that's awakening, fueled by the Lord's Prayer. And I'm your host, Sarah Maynard. Hello, this is episode 8 of Rooted Prayer, and today's topic is forgiveness. We're going to actually be looking at the, the petition to forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. We're going to land on the second half of that uh, petition, the, the call to forgive as we've been forgiven. And so I think we could call this session today or this episode Becoming a People of Forgiveness. Uh, this is something that is really challenging. And we are um, exploring the Lord's Prayer in, these, in this podcast with a, um, a desire to find personal revival and keys for corporate revival. And this issue of forgiveness is absolutely central in that. But if we are to be honest, and I think many people, um, Christians all over the world would agree that uh, in many ways, this feels like almost an unreasonable part of the prayer. Like We recognize that we need forgiveness. And, and it seems as though the more time we ask the Lord to search our hearts or to um, bring us into holiness and sanctification, uh, the more he shows us, the more we see in terms of our motives, maybe jealousy or pride or selfish ambition, these things become um, kind of revealed to us. And so the more we see about areas of our own struggle um, and the deeper he, he goes and brings cleansing to us, the more vital the, the part of the prayer where we ask for forgiveness seems. <laughs> Lord, please give us mercy. But the idea that the forgiveness that we receive should actually mirror the forgiveness that we give others seems like an impossibly high standard. The reality is that some of us have suffered unimaginable wounds, betrayals, abuses. So, so to even speak to each other and call each other to this standard, in some ways it feels callous. It feels almost like we're dismissing the impact of these wounds. And so it's not at all uncommon for us to accommodate unforgiveness in our lives and, and allow it to just live there, be there, um, without addressing it. And, and accommodate unforgiveness in, uh, in our friends, in our family, in our churches, to the point where grudges can be passed on from generation to generation in, in churches, denominations, in businesses, in families, marriages, business partnerships, churches split and even splinter because we cannot or we will not forgive. And yet here, the Lord is saying that we are to forgive in the same way that we've been forgiven. And we are actually to forgive before we even ask for forgiveness. This is amazing. And the way that we've been forgiven is that when we ask for forgiveness, it's granted to us um, with, without any time lapse. So in the moment that we ask for forgiveness, it's an immediate response of yes from the Father. If we've asked for forgiveness, 
He doesn't say, well, you're going to be on probation for six months and then I'll forgive you. No, it's a, it's a yes from heaven. It's a resounding, wholehearted yes. So it's an immediate forgiveness. That's a challenge in, our, in itself. Wow. Do we forgive in the same way? It's a full forgiveness. So it's not partial. It's not, well, I'll forgive you somewhat. But other aspects of that sin, no. No, uh-uh. It is a full forgiveness. There is, there's nothing held back. It's complete. And it's also a generous forgiveness. It's not begrudging. It's not coming out of a place of, of anger or shame or, or anything other than than the generous, overflowing love of God. He's delighted to forgive us. He's been waiting for us to ask for forgiveness so he can release that to us. He's generous, so open-handed with his forgiveness. And it's also a permanent forgiveness. So the forgiveness that we receive from the Father for our sins, it's not like they, it, it runs out at a certain time and then all of a sudden he brings them back up and reminds us of all the things that we've done wrong and all the ways that we've fallen short. No, it's, it's permanent. And I love even the biblical kind of poetry, the metaphor of, of, of our sins being uh, cast into a sea of forgetfulness. Um, I love even the John Mark McMillan song that um, uh, are all our sins like stones are at the bottom of your ocean. Uh, like what a beautiful picture and what a beautiful revelation of God's generous heart for, for us. So as we pray this prayer, and particularly when we pray it regularly, even praying it daily, we are confronted with this need to forgive. And it doesn't go away. We can't avoid this part of the prayer. If we're going to pray it through, we get confronted every day or every time we pray it with, have we actually forgiven? So much so that I think some of us like to just kind of mumble this part of the prayer. Lord, forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who have sinned against. No, you know, hear what I'm saying? Like this, uh, we, don't, we want to kind of skip over this. No, the Lord actually wants us to be discipled to be like Jesus. He wants us to be discipled to be like Jesus. And so he's calling us uh, out of our own selfishness, out of our own um, desire for, for judgment and vengeance upon those that hurt us. He's calling us out of that to become more Christ-like. What he's doing, really, is he is leading us into practicing the second commandment in a daily rubber-hits-the-road kind of way. The first and second commandments and the Great Commission are all woven into the Lord's Prayer. And here is where the second commandment shines through the brightest. It's almost an echo of Matthew 22, verse 39, where Jesus lays out the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive your neighbor as you've been forgiven. These two are just um, like they're two sides to the same coin. It's the same heartbeat. It's coming out of this call to love our neighbor 
as ourself. Now, this commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, it, it's a challenge when our relationships are, are great. When, when they're happy and peaceful, it's still a challenge to practice selflessness and to not put ourselves first, to not take the biggest piece of lasagna, to not think of what music we want to listen to, but what music our spouse would want to listen to. These kind of little points of selflessness, are not, it's not human nature. We need to practice the love of God and we need to be intentional about this. But then when these relationships turn hostile, and I don't necessarily mean our family relationships, but when our perhaps our neighbors turn against us or there's work conflict or there's political uh, struggle and animosity or, or anger at a sports event, whatever, or, or, or much worse, where people actually become our enemies, this is where we all the more need the supernatural love of Jesus in us and flowing through us. You see, Jesus loved us and forgave us when we were his enemies. You see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. While we were still his enemies, he loved us. He loves his enemies and he gave himself for us to be crucified, even though we were his enemies. And so he asks us to follow his lead, to also love our enemies. And for that, we have to be filled with him. I, I want to read you a passage um, from, from Matthew uh, right now. And so, so this is Matthew, uh, let me see, Matthew chapter 5. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse, I'm going to read verses 43 through to 48. Um, and it says this, this is from the English Standard Version, which is my favorite. <laughs> okay, it says this. You have, and so this is Jesus speaking. This is a part of the Sermon of the Mount. And he says this, you have heard it said, so he's talking to Jewish disciples, Jewish listeners, and he's quoting some of their, uh, their scribes, some of the, the customary uh, sort of suggestions or that they had had. This wasn't a part of the Old Testament, but they're, he's, he's quoting this and he's saying, you've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the good and the evil, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm just going to go back and read again verse 44 and 45 um, to make a point. Um, Jesus says this, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, he's not saying that your adoption hinges on loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. But what he's saying 
is that as you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, as you have this heart of generous forgiveness to those who hurt you and who persecute you, you are illustrating that you, like Jesus, are a son or a daughter of your Father in, in heaven. You're illustrating a family trait. You're illustrating, you're, you're featuring a family DNA. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus in us and flowing through us so that we can abound in forgiveness. In many ways, forgiveness is like the litmus test of where our love level is. If we're generous with our forgiveness, then it's an illustration that our hearts are filled with the love of God for, for one another and for those that would even persecute us. What we see in scripture is, is an incredible illustration, repeatedly, actually, uh, in the New Testament of how not just Jesus walked in this, but the early church and the early disciples adopted this same posture. They were dead set to walk in the first and the second commandment. They were really committed to this. They, they um, really believed that this was absolutely vital. They were totally intentional about it and they walked it out in some dramatic ways. They, they moved in love so much that they, those that had wealth in the, in the early church, they sold lands, they sold um, buildings, uh, properties, and they generously gave that money to the church, not with strings attached, but they gave it generously to, to feed the poor. It was going to be consumed. It wasn't setting up a legacy in their name so that they would forever be able to control the board. No, they gave it generously with no strings attached. It was this kind of love that, that motivated the missionary journeys into new territories. Uh, into places that were filled with danger, into places where um, you know Christianity was unknown, and they were they were going to be confronting uh, pagan gods and pagan beliefs that were hostile to Christianity. Uh, they they were going to endure all kinds of hardships, but the missionary journeys were a part of what the early church embarked on because of the love of God that was shed abroad in their hearts. It was this kind of love that drew them into prayer for their enemies as persecution increased. Forgiveness flowed through them and it flowed out of love. You see, you, it's really hard to desire the best for someone and to be praying for them daily, to be praying that God would bless them, that, that God would, would minister to them, that God would meet them. And turn around and want vengeance and res have resentment. So it's, it's, you can't do both. If you're actually actively praying for someone, you can't hold forgive, uh, unforgiveness in your heart against them. And so they practiced what Jesus had called them to do. They loved their enemies. And, and they had developed, uh, in a sense, their muscles, their spiritual muscles in this direction. So that when we see the martyrdom of Stephen, and you see this in Acts chapter 17, the martyrdom of Stephen, the, the young deacon 
uh, in the early church, when you see him being stoned to death uh, right on the streets of Jerusalem in such a, a, a horrific and brutal way, probably many of his friends, maybe family members, were there watching in horror as the mob rose in anger with his preach. And you see this in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is preaching and essentially he's saying um, to, to the Jews that are listening to him, you crucified the Messiah. Look at what you've done and repent. He's calling them into repentance. And they're furious. They, they, step, they fall into this incredible rage where, they're, where they're, they're grinding their teeth. I don't know if I've ever seen someone so angry that they're grinding their teeth. Well, they were grinding their teeth. This was an uncontrollable rage. They picked up whatever they could find, a stone, a piece of broken brick, and they, they threw it at him, one after another after another, a bloody, brutal murder by a mob. In a sense, he was, it was like he was swarmed by this mob, a horrific thing. But his response was to um, release his, himself to the Lord, yield himself to the Lord. Um, you see this in, in Acts chapter 7, verse um, 59. And then he prays for them. He prays for them and he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He had already forgiven even while he was being murdered. He was forgiving. This is an incredible example. And you can be assured that it, it really rattled Saul, who was watching, uh, who was approving. Saul was, was, like an, was like a New Testament. He was like a modern-day uh, ISIS terrorist. And, and he was ravaging the church. You see this in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to, to prison. The church had been just rocked with this martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, backing up to verse 2 in that same chapter, it says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. You can just envision the grief and the horror and the heartbreak that the church was in. And now Saul was like in full-fledged act of persecution of the church, ravaging the church. In, in uh, the, sec the next chapter, chapter 9, it says, Saul still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he's just like possessed with rage and murder. It's like he's become um, just demonically used as this, as this terrorist against the church. But what's happening? The church was praying for him because they were practicing the call of Jesus to pray for their enemies and to bless them. And so their prayers and his experience with Stephen's forgiveness absolutely rocked him. And it was this profound, unsettling encounter with the love of God that set him up to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. But here, when he does, when he does give his life to the Lord and the conversion of Saul is, is uh, 
you know, what, what Acts chapter 9 is about, what you see is that the church responds to him with a little bit of apprehension because they're not sure if he's actually been um, uh, met by Jesus, if he's actually uh, become a disciple, or if he's just feigning this for the sake of gaining access. But as soon as they know from the Lord that he is authentic, forgiveness is not even, um, it, it's a given. It's, it flows from them generously. You see, Ananias, who was the disciple that the Lord called to first minister to Saul and to pray for him, and this is um, Acts chapter 9, verse 17. It says, Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord who has appeared to you on the road by which um, you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias wasn't angry. He wasn't resentful. He wasn't embittered. He, he wasn't um, looking for vengeance. He was full of forgiveness. And the church, it, it, and then it goes on in, in verse 19, and it says that, that the disciples, he came and he fellowshiped with the disciples. He was with the disciples in Damascus. In Damascus, the very place where he was going to persecute them, they received him and they welcomed him. Wow, this is incredible. But what is modeled in the early church is this shockingly generous forgiveness. It's a walking out of what Jesus called the disciples into, that 70 times 7. How many times must I forgive my brother? Oh, 70 times 7. What he's saying really in that passage is saying uh, there's no there's no limit. You're not going to you're not gonna, you're not going to measure it. You're just going to keep forgiving and you're going to do it generously. It's this mighty river of the love of God flowing into their lives and flowing through their lives. And that same river of the love of God is available for us. It can flow into our lives and and fill us and heal us, and then flow through our lives. And the chief way that the love of God manifests is in forgiveness. The reason I say that is because daily God forgives. And, and, and really, more than any other form of ministry is His forgiveness. He daily forgives billions, perhaps trillions of sins. As hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, come to Him in faith, and ask for a lifetime of sin to be washed away and forgiven and covered by the blood of the Lamb, he says yes. He's eager to forgive. He's willing to forgive with great generosity. And then as we, his church, as we come to him daily and say, Lord, forgive me for uh, that sharp word. Forgive me for that unkind thought. Forgive me for the pride that rose up in my heart. He's, his forgiveness is, is given to us as well. Forgiveness flows from him with great generosity. And so where we are struggling to forgive, let's ask the Lord to fill us with the love of God, to be freshly baptized in the love of God so that we will walk, walk out being sons and daughters and, and look just like him. So the forgiveness that God gives and that the church modeled was generous forgiveness, but it was also quick forgiveness. And this was, this was really modeled in a beautiful way 
um, in the early church. And you see this in the story of Stephen. You see it in the example of Paul. Um, it's not forgiveness that takes 20 years to be extracted from them and wrestled out of their hearts. And I think that as we pray the Lord's Prayer daily, we're daily given an opportunity to forgive and to ensure that there's no place where we're nursing bitterness or resentment, where we're nursing grudges or offenses. These things are nipped in the bud and where there's been perhaps a significant wound or something that we're really struggling with, we're daily bringing it to the Lord. And so daily asking the Lord to fill us with forgiveness so that we can release it. It's not something that we park in the back of our heart for 10 years and don't address. We don't just compartmentalize it, but we're actively calling the love of God to flow in us and then through us. Now, this doesn't mean that we're people without healthy boundaries. And I'm not talking about uh, being foolish or naive and and just flowing in um, in a, a, a lifestyle where we have no boundaries ar around our lives or around our families, uh, no wisdom. That's not what we're addressing here. We're, we're, we're talking about not getting stuck in unforgiveness. And really when we go back to what Jesus modeled on the cross, this is, our, this is even be beyond Paul and beyond Stephen's examples, this is our ultimate example, is that Jesus forgave from the cross. Jesus was being, uh, this was the most unjust offense that has ever been committed, was the crucifixion of the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God. And in that place, Jesus forgave, crying out to the Father, praying to the Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So as we pursue um, a more perfect union with him, his standard of forgiveness will become more and more our own. So what does this all have to do with revival? This idea of praying the Lord's Prayer and having it um, give us keys for daily revival in our own lives and giving us keys for corporate revival in our nations. Well, forgiveness sets us free and forgiveness sets others free. And that's a whole nother conversation. We could explore that in a lot of depth and we probably will at some point. But forgiveness has always been a major feature of revivals. We've asked for forgiveness in repentance. We come to the Lord and we repent before him for our sins. And that's a big part of revival is repentance. But we also, there's also this place of reconciliation where those that have been holding grudges and offense and unforgiveness for years are suddenly brought into this place of beautiful reconciliation and forgiveness. I want to just... Um, uh, kind of provoke your imagination right now and ask you how different things would look in the scenario of the the rolling out of the gospel that the early church participated in what would that would have what would that would have looked like if Paul had not been forgiven by the early church if they had actually nursed resentment towards him do you think that he would have been trusted and sent out with the gospel? 
wouldn't he have been just kind of marginalized? Uh, you just hang out in Antioch and yeah, you're an amazing teacher, so you just kind of do your thing there. But we just don't trust you enough to send you out with the gospel. You know, it would have completely sabotaged the expansion of the gospel if the early church hadn't trusted Paul. And I'm wondering how many ways have we sabotaged ourselves or the witness of the gospel or the um, advance of the church in our nations because of unforgiveness. Don't think that it doesn't have an impact. It absolutely does. That's why when forgiveness starts to flow, both in terms of us receiving forgiveness um, from the Lord, forgive us our sins, and us releasing forgiveness to others as we forgive those that sin against us, when forgiveness starts to flow, revival often starts to flow. And so this is a absolutely primary and vital key for revival in our own personal walk with the Lord, that we don't get stuck in this place of, of um, unforgiveness, and, uh, but also in seeing this explosion of the love of God, that we actually walk out this identity of being sons and daughters and start looking more and more like Jesus. Now, the Lord isn't condemning us if we're struggling, but he's actually offering us his love, not just to be received and to heal us from the impact of our wounds, but also to fill our hearts in a supernatural way, in a revival way. And so a few thoughts around the, the part of the Lord's Prayer where we ask the Lord, to not only forgive us our sins, but we, we declare that we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Um, thanks for being with us today. We're, we're just going to wind up, but I want to let you know that the next episode, it will be episode number nine, um, is going to be focused on the petition of let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason we're focusing on kingdom come is because it just so happens that the date for the next episode is May 10th. And May 10th, some of you will know, many of you will know, is um, Ascension Day. It's the historical day, the anniversary of when Jesus ascended to the Father, ascended to his throne, his heavenly throne, ascended to this, this exalted position of Lord over all. And it's also the day that in, in a sense, he gave the Great Commission. So we call it, in Red Leaf Prayer, we call it the Great Commission Day. And so the day when he's saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel, this, the anniversary of that day, we're going we're gonna to zero in on this topic of let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, thanks again for being with us and for tuning in please feel free to invite your friends to to listen in to rooted prayer uh, we're we're loving all the different uh, comments that we've been getting and the encouragements from from many people we love the different ones that have subscribed and are listening regularly um, and i'm just praying for you that we that you and i and all of us that we will together become 
are truly a people of forgiveness, abounding in the love of God and walking out the second commandment.